My name is Bex, I love books and hopefully you do as well. We've got a lot of stuff to get through on today's show. We're going to be chatting to actual national treasure Alison Hammond about her brand new book. We'll be hearing an excerpt from Ramesh Ranganathan and Lolly Adafope's favourite rolled doll book and I'll be telling you about what books are coming out at the moment that you need to check out. But first of all, we are going to go over to Alison Hammond. Now, she is chatting about her brand new non-fiction children's book, Black in Time, the most awesome black Britons from yesterday to today. It covers loads of amazing people and all of the brilliant things they've done. So let's find out more, shall we? Oh, hi, Bex. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. No, I, well, I really appreciate it because, Alison, I have read your book, Black in Time, oh, and I, I think it's brilliant. I loved it. I'm so glad you've read it. And yeah, it's just a really enjoyable book. It's the sort of book that you can nip in, nip out. You don't have to read it all in one. You can come back to it. You can just, you can absorb one of the amazing black figures in it and just like go, wow, they were incredible. It's historical. It's people you've, well, you might have heard of. Some of them you might never have heard of. And it's just a lovely collection of wonderful people who have done incredible things. Honestly, you tapped into my little, I've got a little history bug inside me and you tapped into it really well. Oh, you know what? It's so good that you said that, Bex, because that's exactly what I wanted from this book. There's, there's still amazing people in history that we don't know about. So if I've tapped into somebody's like bug for finding out more, that would be absolutely incredible. And that's what I want. I want kids to go out and in, do their own investigations. Obviously, I concentrated on black people like but there's Asian people, there's people of lots of different ethnicities here in Britain who were part of our history that we probably don't know about. So if I can ignite something in, in children or in adults, that would be great. I think it is that also that book that adults are going to love as well. It's not just for kids. Yeah, because as you say in the book, um, I mean, I didn't study a lot of these people at school. You know, we studied the Romans and the Tudors for, it feels like, about 10 years. And, you know, some of the people you mentioned, I was like, I've never heard, like Septimus, the, the emperor and stuff. So I didn't know about this man. This is amazing. I mean, I didn't know about Septimius Severus. And he was a major part. He was an emperor. He led from the front. You know, he was a, he fought in battles. He loved his soldiers. And he was a black guy. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. This, who is he? Where is he from? And it was yeah. just so interesting to hear about these people. Like, you can remember, like, learning about Henry VIII. Well, I didn't know he had a black trunk in his course. Yes. You know what I mean? I didn't know this. I was like, wow, who is this man? And then you go on to find out that John Blank was the guy who went to Henry VIII, bearing in mind that Henry VIII was the guy who used to chop people's heads off, even his wives. And like he went up to him and he said, listen, you're not giving me fair pay. I want a little bit more. I want it to be the same as everybody else. I want fair pay. And then he, he actually got that from the king. Do you know what I mean? So there's these incredible people pioneering, you know, forward thinking, not afraid to, to stand up for what was right. And I believe it's important that I stand up for these guys who are not around anymore and, and bring them to the forefront and, and for our kids to, to look at. And it's nice to, to get a different perspective on history. I, he, actually, the trumpeter was another person I read and made a little note of because I was like, this is, this is amazing. Like Henry VIII bought him the wedding clothes as a president and stuff like that. It's like, that's... Yeah, well, he's obviously really liked by Henry VIII. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, he was an 
integral part. And I think he was a really good trumpeter as well, to the point where he even helped and taught Henry VIII a few little moves on the trumpets and stuff like that, taught him how to, to use a trumpet. So, yeah, and, and if you go back in history, if you dig even deeper, you can find pictures of him as well. But there's so, listen, there's so many different figures in time. I mean, Mary Seacole, we, a lot of people have heard about her. Yeah, I did I did know Mary Seacole, yeah, yeah. And I remember learning about Mary Seacole from my mom, actually, because my mom said that I was very kind and caring like Mary Seacole. So I was like, oh, who is, who is this Mary Seacole? Who is she? And it turns out she, she was a very vibrant, loud, vivacious. You know, the soldiers absolutely loved her because she was absolutely hilarious, but she was very kind as well. And um, her sort of medicine was very much from the land. She used to use grow herbs and spices and stuff like that to to heal people. So yeah, she was a lovely woman. And my mum said she, I, that I reminded her of Mary Seacole. So she's in the book, which is lovely. But it's just, but also what's lovely as well is not only have I got these characters who are no longer here anymore, there are people from here and now who are movers and shakers and are doing incredible things now. Well, this I love that you kind of compare and contrast. You've got like Phyllis Wheatley, who was a poet of her day, then you've got Mallory Brackman, Mallory Brackman State afterwards, and it's quite a nice little modern and old kind of version, isn't it? Yeah, it's like merging the old with who, what, what are they doing now? How are they, you know, inspiring us now? Which, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to compare different people. I mean, if you look at the illustrations and stuff like that, it's just a beautiful book. It's very colourful. Lots of pictures. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's me just putting my two pennies worth in every so often. But I'm really, really lucky because there's no way I could have got this book out today if, if it wasn't for my co-writer, who's been brilliant, uh, Emma Norrie. I've got to give a mention to her because literally without her, she's the person who literally kicked my butt into action and like said, listen, we've got to make these deadlines and we've got to get on it. And she was so thorough in everything she does she really went into research as you know I do a lot on tv so I needed that backer to help me with this book so I've got to give her a bit of a mention because as, as you mentioned in the back as well you put lo like lovely resources as well yeah um, I think <laughs> timelines in black history is one of them it's a book I've got as well have you got and, um, there is yeah and it's so there's so much more to say there's so many more stories aren't there yeah so many more stories and you like I said this isn't the, the only book out there there's so many other books so many references that you can go to so I definitely included that so are you a book buff then I am I love my books and I love my history so like I say oh this was for me this was the real sweet spot this like really hit home and what's great is when you go out you can start talking about some of these people and they'll be like I didn't know that. I was wondering, was there somebody in particular that you hadn't heard about beforehand? And you were like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I didn't know this person existed. And now I'm thrilled I do. Well, to be fair, most of them uh, I didn't really hear about. But um, the, per the person I really was quite inspired, my son absolutely loved uh, going on trains as a child. He loved trains. He loved, like, to, in order for my son to, like, not be bored, I would literally go to the train station, sit there, read a book while he was just watching trains with a whistle, with a flag, like, like talking to the, every time the train go past, he'd like wave to them and say, yeah, you can go on, you go. And they'd always toot to him. And someone who really resonated in the book, who I'd never really heard of, was Esquith Xavier. He was amazing. His name was Esquith. Camille Xavier and he was like the first black train guard but before that he couldn't be a black train guard because there was something called um 
it was called a, oh God, what was it called? It was called a colour bar was in place. Now, a colour bar is like an unofficial, like institutional racism in a way. So to stop people of colour from getting certain jobs that were up front. So you couldn't be a train guard. You couldn't be like in the receptionist or anything like that. When you were, you just, black people just were not allowed. So there was this thing called a colour bar in place. And he did a campaign and basically got rid of that colour bar so that black people and people of colour could come forward and people of different nationalities, you know, who were different, could actually take jobs and work up the ranks, which was absolutely amazing. He was a pioneer in himself. I didn't really know about him, but I just remembered, oh my God, my son really wanted to be a train driver. But could you imagine if it was like in 1918, when when we you just wasn't allowed and he wasn't, I just can't believe that because of the color of your skin, you wasn't allowed to do certain things. And it's just, he, you know, rightly, just put himself on the line. You know, he got death threats and people weren't happy about it. And he put himself on the line for so many other people. And you know, you go on the trains now and it's just a standard to see black, white, you know, Asian, everybody. And he's the guy who was able to, to, to work as a train guard at Euston Station. And it's, not, it's only, it's recent, you know, it's 1960s. This was, this was happening. So, um, I just think, you know, people like that who I didn't know about, who, who, who have made change, I think they need to be recognised and brought forward. It's so funny you say him. He was he was the one that really, like, I was I was really uh, moved by that one because I was like, I, it's so recent, like you say. I was like, there's a plaque at Euston. I could go and... Yeah, there is a little plaque, yeah. yeah. And there's one where he used to catch the train all the time as well. There's like a gold plaque. So he's got two plaques. In I the wish world. That had plaques, yeah. yeah, I don't want to give too much away. I want people to read the book, but honestly, it's such an inspiring and uplifting book. And what I want people to know is this isn't for a particular, you know, this is this book isn't for black people. This is for everyone because this is our British history that we never heard about. This book is for everyone. You want to get this to everybody. Oh my god, Alison. Well, yeah, fingers crossed it. I'm sure it will, to be honest. And uh, we'll do the word as best spread the word as best we can. Um, Alison, thank you so much for chatting to us about your new book A Black in Time uh, it is brilliant and thank you for reading it and and I'll try and get you a copy in the post because you deserve it please do I'd love it so much thanks Thank you to Alison. Oh, she was amazing and I loved her so much. Now, last week here on the podcast, we heard James Acaster, comedian James Acaster, I should say, to give him his full title, narrating James and the Giant Peach, one of three brand new audio editions of Roald Dahl's stories. The new editions are still full of all of the imagination, the heart and the humour that you know and love, but brought to life in a bit of a different way. So let's have a listen to what happened when Ramesh Ranganathan and Lolly Adafope sat down to read one of those Roald Dahl classics. George had absolutely no doubts whatsoever about how he was going to make his famous medicine. He wasn't going to muck about wondering whether to put in a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Quite simply, he was going to put in everything he could find. There would be no messing about, no hesitating, no wondering whether a particular thing would knock the old girl sideways or not. The rule would be this. Whatever he saw, if it was runny or powdery or gooey, in it went. In fairy tales, witches always wear silly black hats and black cloaks and they ride on broomsticks. But this is not a fairy tale. This is about real witches. The most important thing you should know about real witches is this. 
Listen very carefully. Never forget what is coming next. Real witches dress in ordinary clothes and look very much like ordinary women. They live in ordinary houses and they work in ordinary jobs. Okay, before we go, we've got to tell you about some big new books that are out at the moment. One of them is from a friend of Bookworms, Judith Eagle. She's got a brand new book out called The Accidental Stowaway. It's in Liverpool in 1910 when Patch runs up the gangway of the steamship RMS Glorious. And she's not planning to hang around. But if she leaves her hiding place, the constable might catch her. So sitting tight is worth the risk. But then, of course, the ship sets sail and she's a stowaway Will she make it to New York? Well, you have to read the book to find out. There's also a brand new book called The Unexpected Tale of the Bad Brothers. It's from Claire Povey. In the book, you've got Bastien Bonliver. He's in trouble again. His sworn enemy, Olivier Odu, has escaped jail and is after Bastien once more. Tell you what, shall we hear from the author herself about the brand new book? Hi, listeners of Fun Kids Radio. My name's Claire Povey and I'm the author of the Bastien Bonliver adventure series. My next book, The Unexpected Tale of the Bad Brothers, is publishing soon. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it and give you a short reading. My main character, Bastien Bonneve, a 12-year-old storyteller, is in trouble again. His sworn enemy, the horrible Olivier Audreau, has escaped Jao and is out for revenge. And Paris, the city where Bastien lives, is in trouble. Fires are burning and there are prisoners who escape from the city's jail and there's danger at every corner. And it's up to Bastien and his friends Theo, Alice and the mysterious Mathilde to find the answers they so desperately need. Because if Bastien doesn't find out what's going on, it won't just be him who's in trouble, but the whole of Paris too. Here's a short reading from chapter five in The Bad Brothers. And Bastien is at his book party and he's about to give a reading from his brand new book that he wrote all by himself. But the lights in the bookshop have turned off. I'll be ready. Here we go. Excitable voices quickly turned to panic. The bookshop was almost as dark and heavy as the catacombs and it unnerved Bastien. He could barely see his own hand in front of his face, like a blindfold had been tied around his eyes. No need to worry, Jules shouted. It's probably the new generator. I'll go and look. Careless chatter soon floated through the crowd, but Bastien was on edge. The wooden pallet he stood on now felt like a towering cliff. He had no reason to be afraid here at Le Chat Curieux among friends, but Bastien knew how evil could seep through walls and unlock doors and his mind unravelled again. Was this Olivier's doing? Fear trickled down Bastien's face in cold beads of sweat. Then something or someone brushed against the back of his jacket. Is that you, Theo? No response came, but someone was definitely on the stage with Bastien. And then from out of the darkness, a whisper tickled his skin. I have something for you. Lovely stuff. Thank you so much to Claire for telling us all about the unexpected tale of the Bad Brothers. And thank you to you for listening as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do remember to like, comment, subscribe, follow us wherever it is you get your podcasts. And I'll see you soon for more bookworms. Bye. All right, um, it's got some amazingly pink and white flowers. The leaves look quite kind of, like, um, kind of furry, you know what I mean? It's a warm spring day in late March, and ever since the leaves have started to come out, Roby Joe has been wondering why some trees lose their leaves and some don't. 
and also like how the trees know when it's time to shed their leaves. To find out, join us on the conversations Curious Kids wherever you get your podcasts.